Hello, you are listening to an episode of the Safa Talents podcast series. I'm Katja, founder of SafaTalents.org. We feature personal stories about people who are building bridges across cultures in the Middle East. At the heart are talents and women. In this episode, we travel to the autonomous region Iraqi Kurdistan. You might have heard of Erbil, which is the biggest city in the area. We will go further down south to the second biggest city, Suleymaniyah. There, I met Reba Salahaddin Abdallah, an architect and heritage advocate. His topic is inclusion in the city. Suleimani is the best part of the area for social life and for social cohesion and togetherness. And if we look at this uh, area you know, with, a, like, with a keen eyes, criticize it uh, academically as a researcher, uh, people are not living together, to be honest. It is not like one ground. Some biographical details about Reba Salahaddin Abdallah. He has a bachelor's degree in architectural design. He is currently working in a master's program between Brandenburg Technical University and Alexandria University. And there he's studying models of social healing in post-conflict environments. He's doing research on inclusivity in the open public spaces based in Suleymaniyah. And now he runs workshops with locals to start a participative process for more inclusion. So please welcome Reba and let's find out why he will stay in Suleymaniyah and in the region and fight for a better future. Before we start getting deeper into the topics, I would really like to explain to our listeners what are we talking about when we talk about Iraqi Kurdistan or South Kurdistan. Yeah, Iraqi Kurdistan is an autonomous region in the northeast of Iraq. Since 1991, the, the area became autonomous and liberated by Kurdish fighter against Saddam Hussein regime at the end of the past century. And nowadays, it's mainly three large cities or big cities, Duhok from the north, Erbil from the mid, and Suleimani from the south of the region. And Erbil is actually something like the capital of the region. Exactly. Erbil is the capital of the region. Erbil is a very old, ancient city. In fact, if we go back to the history of Erbil, it's an Assyrian city. Erbil means forgot in the Assyrian language. And Suli is the capital of culture. And also it is recognized by local government as a capital of culture and literature in 2019. And Suli, just for our listeners, Suli is the abbreviation for Suleymania. Exactly. When you say Suli, you mean Suleymania. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Suleymania is a a little bit long word. And in 2019, the city listed by the UNESCO for the literature, it has a value, which is the literature for the creativity in the writings. And too many writers and poets are inventing and living and producing written art and novels. And now now Suli is more famous for coexistence and for togetherness, more or less compared to the other parts of Iraq. Because of the history, when the city was constructed by Kurdish tribe 250 years ago, it was meant for all. So people from other cities were invited 
to participate in the construction of the city. Sorry to interrupt. Let's just talk a little bit about the Kurdish people, because I don't think everybody knows. I've read that you belong to one of the oldest civilization, like oldest civilized yes. people in the world. And the biggest number of people without having your own nation or country. Is that correct? Exactly. Kurdish people belong to the median civilization. In the past time, like 3,000 years ago, we had a few civilization in the area. In the land between rivers, you know, we have two main rivers in the area. And we are the descendants of the median people. The majority of the population of the area is Kurdish. And the Kurdish people are, without no questions, the largest population on the planet without a state. And it is divided between four countries, from the north, Turkey, from the south, Iraq, from the east and west, Iran and Syria. So if we count all the population of the nation in four different countries, it is more than 50 million, as you just mentioned. Okay. Uh, sometimes you wonder, because you are divided in four different nations, uh, what holds you together? So why do people still feel their identity being Kurdish and not anything else? Like there are so many different religions in the area and so many different ethnicities and still people say, I'm Kurdish. So, exactly. So. Exactly. So what, what keep Kurdish people stayed for such a long time It's a kind of stubborn. All the people are recognizing themselves as a Kurdish people because of the culture and history and the language, uh, which is shared between all the, all the people. For example, the very language we talk is the, exactly the same language of the Kurdish people in Iran. And the language that the people of Duhok is the, the very language of the people of Kurdish people of Turkey and Syria. So the same language, the same, the same custom even the same history, the same literature. This is not out of nationalism, but we are also proud for each other writers. I'm proud of the Iranian Kurdish writers. Yeah. And I consider them themselves as my writer. I mentioned their writers, their artists as mine. So it is not divided. Only on the map, only on the books, it is divided. It's like imaginary lines. Still people are going and coming and without considering the borders. The borders now became so official and so political and legal matters. But in the past, 50 years ago, it was not a matter. Mm, yeah. People... So the language sticking you together and the traditions. and Exactly, exactly. And also, apart from the, uh, the tragedy that we share, for example, at mm. this decade, we have uh, like this tragedy in this part of Kurdistan. And the same tragedy happened again Uh, this other part of the Kurdistan. So the, these parts of Kurdistan are like a home with uh, small rooms and each room is on countries. It is located in a country. And this time the tragedy happened in this room and next time in that room. So we are familiar and we, we know, for example, the, the issue of identity. We had it until uh, 20 years in Iraq, for example. Even during the Saddam Hussein regime, Kurdish of Iraq were facing massive discrimination regarding the identity, having no any kind of ID. But nowadays you can see in Syria, Kurdish people in Syria, they don't have any ID. When you don't have ID, when the government can't give you ID or passport, means they don't recognize you as a being, as a part of the community. You, you just have the right to be there as a static object. 
not as a human. So this is the problem that we understand them. It is not only about this, it's also much deeper. So now when we see a people from Syria, when they suffer from discrimination, we also get the feeling because we had it in the past. You are listening to the Safa Talents podcast episode interviewing Reba Salahattin Abdallah. Now that we have talked about Kurdistan and the Kurdish people in Iraq, Reba will explain his work and research on the many layers of social inclusion and why this is linked to the mass emigration from Iraq. The title is Heritage Advocate and Architect. So for somebody who doesn't know, can you explain what that is and what you're actually doing? Yes, as an architect, I we usually design physical structures, but as an heritage advocate, we do support the heritage monuments and we are trying to preserve the heritage monument and cultural significance from demolishing and from vanishing in the area. We are trying to find and discover advocacies for these historic buildings. And through this, we have a bigger objective, which is the social cohesion and the community development. Your focus of work is in Suleimania. Yes, um, so what's the special situation there in terms of heritage? What are the challenges? Yeah, unfortunately, in Suleimania during the past century, even now, we lost over 5,000 historic houses by the local community itself because there were no awareness, there were no any kind of connection between the community and the structure and the building. Simply people destroy their houses and they use it as a car parking or they just construct another mega structure on the vacant land. So the situation is not good. Still, it is not good. But we are trying, we are fighting to set the rules. We are arranging protests and we are arranging gatherings and government promised to set the rules and limitations regarding the destruction of the heritage monuments. Do you have an idea why people are not aware of the treasures they have? Yeah, of course, a very long debate. and it's a, all, I think all my research is about them. The lack of the sense of belonging, as soon as you don't have this kind of feeling that you are not belonging to the space, you simply leave the space. You simply leave the house. When you leave the house, the house became vacant. The house became destroyed. Natural disasters like flood, heavy rains, and eventually the owner come back and destroy the house completely. This is also have a lot of reasons in the background, but we just see a lack of the sense belonging and the lack of the memory of the place. They don't feel that they own the memory there. They think that the memory was not authentic because of the tremendous suffering they have right now in the city. And what kind of suffering is this? Yeah, the social injustice, social segregation, lack of the job opportunity, lack of respect, lack of the security and safety in a deeper meaning. And also there is no any like set or rules for respect the individuality of one being, one person in, in the city. Like your dignity as a Kurdish people inside Suleimani is under threat by the very own government, by the very own people. So this area will not give you a sense of home. So you simply just destroy your house and use it as a car parking and you want to go and to live somewhere else. So you see this as a symptom of something very much deeper. People don't feel they belong to this place. They don't feel that's their home. That's why they they don't care enough about their treasures and what their heritage. Exactly, exactly. They don't feel that they belong to this 
context. So already there are strangers. So as soon as you are stranger, you don't have passion mm. for the structure, for the site, for anything in the area. So this kind of not being welcome will give them the courage to destroy their own very house. Mm. But you, you did also research between, I think, three cities or three universities. What kind of research did you do in Suleimania? I did the research about the center of the city, which is a public open space called Sarai Square. And I found why the space is not inclusive, why the space is only being used by a certain uh, group, why, why the space has the potential to be inclusive and the space has a potential to be used by many stakeholders, many space users, rather than one type of the user. So, I mean, I, I remember maybe I can add to this. Of course, I'm not... <laughs> in the research, but when I was walking in the streets and the public spaces in Suleimania, of course, it was uh, obvious that it's very male dominant. Uh, mostly young men are prevalent in these places and you shy away a little bit as a woman. Yeah, because you feel you are a stranger in these places. Is that one of the topics? Exactly, exactly. This is the topic and the very motivation of my research. Suleimania used to be quite social, it used to be quite inclusive, but nowadays it is not like that. It means there is something wrong. And what is wrong? It was the topic of the thesis. And of course, because of the space being fragmented and distorted through the past four decades, out of 5,000 houses, you only have 200 remaining houses, which is not in a very good condition. So the land value decreases and life in these quarters are linked to the poverty and shame. Now people feel shameful to live in those quarters. And gradually this became a kind of culture that females don't want to go there because they don't feel safe. Unfortunately, the poor families are now living in the quarter because the land values were quite low. And, you know, the poverty and the ignorance and most of the time the crime are one package, are the parallel lines. This is the main reason that the females don't want to, to use the space as a space user. But as you describe it, uh, that's something that has changed. So it was not always like that. So is it really that uh, these places became poorer and uh, that the diversity of people left these spaces? Or how did it happen? Yeah, it happened in many phases. Let me go back to the very, very first time in in the beginning of past century, when the Iraqi government established and Soleimani became a part of Iraq, because in the past, as I told you, Soleimani was part of Ottoman Empire. They were not a country like Iraq. So the Iraqi government started to discriminate the other uh, minorities, like Christian and Jewish. The city became more exclusive day by day. By day. And unfortunately, the local co community of the city was not aware enough to stop this from happening. This is gradually so. One day we the city, there, were, there are no Jews. I mean, we had a big community of Christian people in the area, but when they look at the city, we have only a few families left. All of them departed. But they left because of political reasons? Uh, yeah, the Jews left because of the political reason, and also the Christian left because of the social and political reasons. Mm. So, and then gradually... That the space became unfit for, for their very own people, for Muslims. I mean, the space also became for, unfit for poor, became unfit for, for those who are not aligned with the government political strategies. 
So the city became a city for a group of people. And this has been like using the, the area for one group is like reflected on, on the public spaces, on the, on the quarters, on every aspect of the life in the city. And nowadays, as a result of this culture, we can see the spaces are only being used by a certain group. Hmm. So your topic is inclusion. It's not only a topic in Kurdistan. It happens in other cities as well. For example, that the touristic areas are being taken over by foreigners, <laughs> by the tourists, and you don't find any local people there anymore. So what's the problem and what can you do about it? In Kurdistan, why it is more dangerous than I think from the other parts of the world? Because people are leaving the country. One main reason of the immigration, mass immigration that we can see nowadays is because they don't feel this kind of inclusivity. They don't feel that they belong to this space. So let's go to find some other place that we can feel the belonging, that we can feel that this space are for us. So this is the dangerous aspect. So, so you even see this as a sign why people are leaving the area, why yes. they try to flee... Exactly. And, and they One even the go major. to Belarus exactly. as refugees and risk exactly. everything. Exactly. I, I talked to people in Belarus and I told them why you are staying there in this jungle, which is very cold, which is very disastrous. You may die over there. So they told me, I feel more home here now rather than Suli. So this is a disaster. This is horrible. This is horrible. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, this is the problem that we have to stop and we have to think about seriously. For a moment, stop all the investment in the other studies, just put the investment in this problem that we have right now, the mass immigration. But one of the reasons of the mass immigration that we have right now is the problem of not having the inclusive space for all the people. The poverty is not the reason. In most of the cities in the world, they are not rich but the people are not running and escaping from their cities. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I'm asking here is because it's the first time in Iraqi Kurdistan that there has been a longer period of peace. So there is no Saddam Hussein running any violent programs against Kurds. Yeah, you um, know, yeah, you know, I mean, during, yeah, yeah, during Saddam Hussein, you know, uh, people were not immigrating. Yeah. Do you know that fact? I think it's because people were... <laughs> together like a sense of community yes, against exactly. against a common target. enemy exactly. something like that and now exactly. there, i mean of course there is attacks from is and and the turkish bombings in the north but there is not this one enemy threatening the kurdish people right they now feel, exactly most people they feel cheated and this safety yeah. this peacefulness is being exploited unfortunately by the kurdish political parties so we have to recognize this in order to prevent from further disasters right now. So, and, Sorry to interrupt, but also what I heard when, when traveling in Kurdistan, if you talk about political inclusivity, there is just no way people can participate in any exactly. way. Exactly. What I can read it is that there are many parallel lines together, but it's inclusivity in politics or in structures or in social life. It cannot become like that. In the city, you have inclusivity in economy, but you don't have inclusivity in social. No, all of them are one package. So the lack of one of them, it means the lack of the rest. It's like a piece of puzzle. If you lose one, it would not be complete. This is, has many aspects. To think about the solution, to think about the prevention, the exclusivity in the area, I think the best idea right now can be to use the participation project. Just to summarize um, what I think I understood is that you say 
I mean, of course, inclusivity has many different aspects, but you say that they all belong together. So if you start, for example, with um, with uh, inclusivity in the city, like with the physical space, then you actually work on all the parts of inclusivity. So you also work on the political participation part and you also work on the uh, on the economic inclusivity and all that. Is, did I understand you correctly? Exactly, exactly. So they are one package, all of them. I mean, inclusivity cannot be established just by improving the social life. To establish a strong foundation for an inclusive space, you need a space which has all the aspects, as you see, political freedom, good opportunity for economic development, and a proper social cohesion, social life, and the other dimensions, like people can practice their religious rituals and their spiritual activities. Yeah, but I guess that's one of the challenges that your whole issue is so complex. There are so many aspects that you need to consider that you might get lost. (laughs) Exactly. It's a network of problems and it needs a network of solutions. Also, this only can be done with with the people. Without the local community, project and the solution would not succeed. Involving and participation of the local community is the critical and the crucial aspect of this approach. This is the Safa Talents podcast. Next, Reba will talk about the lack of coexistence and togetherness and about the situation of the many refugees and IDPs in the area. IDPs are internally displaced people who had been attacked by the ISIL, which is the Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant. To conclude, we are discussing how the tragic history of the Kurds in Iraq is still alive in traumas across generations before Reba looks into the future with an optimistic outlook. So I think it's so interesting in Kurdistan with all these multiple stakeholders that you have. Like if I describe coexistence as peacefully living together, at least side by side, but everybody has the same rights and the same access to the same shared resources, which is always a limited factor. So how would you describe this for Suleimania or for Iraqi Kurdistan? Yeah, apparently when you see Kurdistan or Iraq is much better than the whole area, the whole Middle East area except for Israel. I mean, in terms of coexistence, like Kurdistan, Suleimani is the best part of the area for social life and for social cohesion and togetherness. And if we look at this uh, area you know, with, a, like, with a keen eyes, criticize it uh, academically as a researcher, uh, people are not living together, to be honest. It is not like one ground, all people are living together. One space, they are in one space, but not on one ground. What it means? I am going to the architecture and coming back to, to your question. You, you see the buildings are not aligned with each other. There is no harmony. You can see each building. One building is very high, one building is very low. And one building is wide, one behind is black. So there is no harmony between the gates, the windows, the material used, the architecture style of the structures. What it means, the building is a reflection of the human being, it's a reflection of the society. It means that each person or each family has a different world, has a different ground for themselves. They are not on the same ground. The confusion in the, in the city is the reflection of the confusion of the people. And this confusion tells us that they are not on the same ground. Now they are not anymore sharing the same story. They apparently, physically, living in the same space, 
but not the same place. Okay. You showed us one of the refugee camps. I mean, there are, I think, two million refugees in exactly. in Iraqi now, Kurdistan. Yes, I think now it is one million. One, one of them is just went back to their places. Oh, wow. I mean, which yes. is still a lot because only four million people are living in the area. Yes, exactly. Actually. So that's one fourth of the whole population. Exactly. And many of them live in camps in many other countries where I have seen that they are not like shut off. They, they can leave their camps. They have free access to the uh, outside to find work, for example, which is not possible in Europe. I found there is some kind of openness so that everybody can somehow participate in some ways? Or is that just uh, an outsider's wrong view? I want to be precise a little bit when in the case of the refugees and IDPs, it is a little bit different. In the beginning, there were kind of acts of discrimination here and there, but nowadays that became a part of the community that there are no more discrimination and there are no more people dealing with them as an outsider or other entity from the other environment. To just confirm this is exactly true. I mean, they they, they all use the, the, the same resources and the same context. When I say the local community, I mean, there are many groups inside the local community. I mean, there is not one certain group. There are many groups. And as you say, the, the economic classes and uh, people from different religious backgrounds, different nationalities, quite diverse. What is a little bit unfortunate is the lack of the coexistence that used to be in the past. Nowadays, if you... Visit a city like Erbil, you can see the Christians, they live in a special area and they never departure or travel to the other parts of the city. And this is the case also in Suli and in Duhok. And also refugees now, they live in their camps and the, the lucky ones are going to work in the morning inside the nearby city and they came back at the evening. The quality of the coexistence between the refugees or IDPs with the local communities also, they don't have like this kind of high quality of the social altogetherness. Yeah, I understand. There is one question which I think you cannot ignore. Iraq and especially Kurdistan has a very tragic history. So there was prosecution, there were mass killings, there was even a genocide, there was the exodus uh, only in the 1990s. So when I was traveling in Kurdistan, I experienced it everywhere. You see it, you see the monuments reminding you of the tragedy. And also if you talk to people, I was amazed how open people share their own stories, which are mostly very tragic. But these stories I found everywhere. And I wonder, like when we talk about inclusion, when we talk about coexistence, how do you deal with that? There is so much trauma everywhere. Yeah, exactly. How do people so, cope with that? Yes, the, the thing that you just mentioned, I mean, by telling the stories and trying to find someone to listen to them, those traumas, those tragic events has a very negative influence on the community. But the other part of this historic events was that it promoted the social cohesion by like making people to to find the others to to tell their story to tell their tragedies to tell their loss we were so accurate about this so even nowadays that people were hoping and longing for someone from the outer environment to come and listen to them just to guarantee just to make sure this will not happen again and this kind of longing, this kind of high, intense desire for telling their story make them be more socially together. Are there any kind of activities to support people in dealing with their 
past and and with their traumas unfortunately there is no as much as i know there is no any official activity for this matter i mean every election a government promised to provide the people with the traumatic past with this activity but nothing official is going on there but on the other level there are other international agencies especially from the developed context they have projects but you know these projects are very small and they are not sufficient they are not like on the level of the trauma itself the big step is the government can involve can make those people feel normal again to feel home again feel alive again so this is also one of the problem not being inclusive those people with all tragedies are there walking and there is nothing for them when i'm i'm saying nothing for them i'm not trying to say give them money or not it's not like that i'm saying to give them two ears to listen to their story give them one heart to feel their fe- feeling to to feel their their passion this is the point and it is not impossible It's really interesting for me that you say that because that's what I felt. I'm a foreigner and people started telling me their stories very openly. And the only thing I could do was listen because I don't have this experience. I can only share my, yes, my ear. <laughs> and um, I felt it needs uh, empathy and people who provide a space and opportunities for others to share their stories. Um Yeah, to at some stage maybe be able to create new stories out of that. Exactly. And, you know, it, unfortunately, there is also a gap or a, a segregation between the younger generation and the older generation. Although, also, this is another reason for not having the inclusive environment, because younger generation don't have the tendency to, to listen to the stories of the older people. And if you ask me the reason, the reason is the political parties, because at a certain time, political parties came and they they hold a lot of slogans. They said, we we own the tragedy, or we own this whole massacre you just mentioned. We were the victims. And they equated themselves with the local people, normal people. And because of these slogans, they got a lot of incentives, a lot of things that so now... Even with the real stories, with the real peoples, the younger generation don't have this tendency to listen to to this anymore. But I guess also that it is difficult for young people to just being exposed to very tragic stories of the past. At some stage, you want to look into the future and not being kept back. I would like just a little bit to emphasize is that most of the time, younger people are being shut up, uh, just close their mouths by telling them, you have a chance to leave. You don't have to complain about anything else because yeah. in the other past, your, your grandparents, your ancestors did not have the chance to leave. Now you have a chance to leave and there is no one uh, at, the, at the door gate to, to kill you, to terrorize you. So also, this is a kind of a huge discrimination against the younger generations are going on right now. Because there is no anymore Saddam Hussein and they don't have any right to complain about their needs, which is, you know, there is no, no any chance for them to survive. There is no job opportunity. There is not any kind of inclusiveness toward them. They don't feel that they are belonging to this environment. The only thing which is sharing right now among the other groups in the community and the young people is the language. Nothing else is shared between them. Even the idea, even food, even the custom, everything is changing. So they, they don't feel they are living in their homes. They are living in their country. So that's why they yeah. easily immigrate. 
Yeah, and also like what's happening in, in other countries in the Middle East as well, is you have a lot of universities now. So people are well educated, not all of them, but, but many people get higher education. And then you see and you compare. And even though you are well educated, you don't find a job, you don't have perspectives, you don't get included in the social life or in the political life, then what else can you do than leave? It's that's quite hard. normal, exactly. That's hard. Exactly. I mean, wow. <laughs> um, still, I want to ask you, what's your outlook on the future? So, because you started this process, so that means yes. there are people trying to do something about it. What's your outlook? What are your hopes for Suleimania and the Iraqi Kurdistan? Yes, my hope for the future is to having a established local community in terms of the, the mentality and in terms of the social cohesion, social life, and in terms of the freedom and political participation, political inclusiveness. And I think in the next 20 years, if there is not any more war in this area, when I'm talking in this area, I'm not talking about only my region or only about Iraq, the whole other countries in the Middle East, if there is no any more war, I'm sure there will be a kind of development, democratic development. So for me, I am also optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. But I try to be more optimistic. I try to stay on the optimistic side because this is serving me, to be honest. This is making me alive and more energetic. I'm quite hopeful that the solution is not impossible. I'm hopeful and it doesn't need a huge economy, it doesn't need a huge money. It needs a mindset. It needs just to take a step just to come out from the home, especially those people who are in the position of the power. I'm talking about the people in the Kurdish government and Kurdish political parties. They, if they decide to run this participation process on the many levels among the local community, I'm sure in five years to, to 10 years, automatically we have a better city, we have a better life, and we have a decent social structure, social community. It is all about the, the actions and perspectives. And hopefully, one of the peoples in the higher position decide to take the step to just wake up, to, to just not be so old-fashioned and so stubborn in, in terms of respecting their own people or respecting their own city. That's a very beautiful outlook. I also wanted to ask you about your dream, but I think there is also a little bit of a dream inside of exactly. you. Just exactly. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a dream, but uh, I think having a dream is a quite legitimate. Yes, it's legal to have a big dream <laughs> and to think and to dream and think big. Also, even a small part of this dream, if come true, it will be huge benefit in, in the history of the city. Yeah, and I also think that you are a role model somehow because you decided to stay, even though you were outside because you were studying abroad exactly. and you are still studying abroad partly and you are engaged internationally, but still you are in Suleimania and you tried to exactly. start something local. So if other people do that as well, then your big dream can be Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this is not only I'm not nationalist, just to confirm that. But living here for me is a kind of like a spiritual connection between me and the land. And I also still feel the authenticity in the area, in the old quarters and also in the people. So for me, in my perspective, uh, still it's a city, which is my city. It's a people, which is my people. It's a language, it's a structure, everything, which is my also. 
but it needs certain type of solution and medication, which we are trying to find. We are trying to think about it. So I cannot leave this area so easily. Yeah. Yeah. And it needs people who feel the responsibility to care enough uh, and having the strength to stay because it's not that everybody can do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very powerful words. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> to thank my guest and you dear listeners for connecting and letting yourselves into our discussion you will find some more information about today's guest all podcasts and many more articles on our website safatalents.org please send me some feedback and if you have recommendations and special interests i'm katya and i wish you a happy day